Two weeks ago, I, I preached about how Jesus called you and I as sitting on a hill. And how people are watching us. And as we live our lives, that they will know where our allegiance is. They'll know that we're living in an upside-down kingdom. And they will see our good deeds. And the idea is that they would then praise God. That they would give glory to God the Father because His light is shining through us as a city on a hill. And then last week, there was an outpouring of love from this congregation as we filled the stage with donations for Project Love, which is our local comfort and care ministry, and uh, then the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. By the way, I I, want to pause. This is not even in my notes, but I want to let you know, I read an article yesterday that just got me really angry. And, And then I thought, well, I can do something about this in my own world, and maybe you will be moved to do something as well. Uh, There's an organization uh, based out of Wisconsin called the Freedom From Religion Foundation, and and they fight against anything of faith in in America. Uh, They believe that they should have the right to uh, uh, stomp on anybody's belief and their faith and the expression of that. And they actually got a Kansas elementary school to stop doing the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. Because apparently this world does not want us to do anything good for somebody who is less fortunate than ourselves if we do it in the, in the name of Jesus. They don't want us to do it in the name of Jesus. That, and, and so what kind of world are we living in now where they say you cannot give toys and school supplies to, to children around the world if you're going to do it in the name of Jesus? I I thought, well, you know what, I I can get upset about that or I can do something about that. And I've decided that I'm going to grab a shoebox and I'm going to uh, fill that and I'm going to send that on in the name of that Kansas school. Because if they're not going to do it, we're going to do it for them, right? So if you want to know about that, I'm sure Jeannie will continue to um, uh, accept shoeboxes, even though uh, we're we're already getting ready. ready to get rid of them and, and send them on. But if, if you are so moved, you can even just go on to SamaritansPurse.org and you can go ahead and fill out a, a shoebox there and, and donate some money in the name of that Kansas school that cannot do that anymore. Anyways, um, it's awesome to be a part of a church that cares, that regularly puts feet to their faith, to, to put their love into action. It, it shows that we strive to, to really truly follow Jesus. To, to put others first. Uh, those are great qualities of a church dedicated to, to discipleship. But as we look at something this morning, I wonder, could there be a danger, could there be a danger in doing good, in doing all the right things? We're going to dive into a Revelation today, and you, usually you don't see me uh, preaching much out of Revelation. There are so many different interpretations uh, of the book. Well, we could have Bible studies uh, with these things, but I, I do love the first part of Revelation where it's very practical stuff, and, and, and it does preach very, very well. Uh, in context, Revelation was given to John, the apostle, when he was in exile for being a Christian. He was on the island of Patmos, uh, which was off of the coast of, of, uh, of Turkey. And um, the vision was given to him in a form of a letter that he was going to send to these seven churches there on the coast of Turkey. Uh, these seven churches were, were uh, uh, representative of, of the church uh, at large. And so even though they were um, uh, churches in the ancient day, we can find ourselves in these churches. And, and um, and, and so these are very relevant messages that, that Jesus has for the church. Um, we begin 
we begin with the church in Ephesus. Uh, Chapter 2 of Revelation, Jesus says, listen, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Those seven stars represented the angels that watched over these churches. And the words of him who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And now the golden lampstands were representation of these seven churches. Jesus said to this first church, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered. You have endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. Now, we know a lot about the church there in Ephesus. It was a privileged church that had been greatly blessed. Paul planted that church on one of his missionary journeys, and John, the apostle John, had ties to that church as well. And so did Timothy, who was Paul's protege. He would actually, Timothy would actually serve as pastor for a time there in Ephesus. It was to this church that our New Testament book of Ephesians, that was the letter that Paul wrote to this church. Um, and, and so as we look at the message that Jesus has for this church, it seems like they were very strong. They were very healthy. They were doing some great things for God's kingdom. And yet, if you look back at the founding of this church, you'll begin to see seeds that will eventually grow to the problem that would eventually be seen here, even in the book of Revelation chapter 2. So keep your finger there in Revelation 2 and go to Acts chapter 19. We're going to skim through this chapter real quick to see some of these seeds, some of the issues that were there at the beginning of the church. Chapter 19 of Acts begins, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, "Uh, We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. So on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, now, one of the things that I want you to see here is that in Paul's mind, he equates receiving the Holy Spirit with being baptized into the name of Jesus. Those are not two separate baptisms. But when you are baptized into the name of Jesus, there is the reception of the Holy Spirit in one's life. But what was going on here is he he sees some believers. They knew about what was going on, that they understood the rules, and, and yet they had not yet received the power of the Holy Spirit. Sounds to me like a lot of churches in our culture today, that they know the right things, but they're not operating under the power of the Holy Spirit at all, not even realizing that that is necessary. We go on to verses 8 and 9. Paul now goes into the synagogue where the Jews are, and he speaks boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them there became obstinate, and they refused to believe, and they publicly maligned the way. That's, by the way, that's what Christianity was called back then, the way. So they were publicly maligning the way, and so Paul just left them. Something very similar is happening here. 
Here were religious people who were not willing to say that they were wrong. That they were not willing to go to the next level of their relationship with God. They thought that they already had it. You can't tell me anything new. You can't bring conviction into my life. We are right. Have you ever thought about this? When Jesus showed up on the scene, he did not mean to start a new religion. It wasn't like he says, okay, you Jews, you can have your Judaism. And now we're going to start something called Christianity as an alternative. Folks, that's not what Jesus' intention was. He told us that he came to the lost sheep of Israel to bring them back into a right relationship with God so that they could be the people of God. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. In other words, they had been with God and they had, were now lost. He wanted to bring them back into a right relationship with God. Essentially, Jesus wanted to take the Jews of his day and bring them to the very next level, to what I have called Judaism 2.0. And Judaism 2.0 is basically saying, yeah, you are a Jew, you believe in Jehovah God, and yet there is now this understanding that this long-awaited, this prophesied Messiah is actually here. It is Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah. That's the whole plan. And yet they refused because they thought that they were fine, that they didn't need to be introduced to this new Messiah. And so it fell flat, and so Paul says, that's it. Forget it. I won't talk to you anymore. So you can practice religion all you want, but if you don't have a connection with the Messiah to save you from your sins, you will not be able to find your way back to the Lord. Then there's a great story starting in verse 11. Oh, this, this is great. Kiddos, you, you'll, love, you'll love this story. So God started doing extraordinary miracles through Paul, it says in verse 11, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses then were cured, and the evil spirits left them. That, that is an extraordinary miracle. And God was doing this there in, in this church, in the first part of, of the church of Ephesus. But some Jews, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke then the name of the Lord Jesus. So these are the guys who had, uh, who had rejected the Lord Jesus, but wanted to use his name for their own benefit. They, they wanted to get in on this whole thing. They, they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day... The evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who the heck are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered all seven of them, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. See, this is what happens when you are trying to fake your way through it. You say, you know what, I, I, I like what Christianity looks like. I, I kind of like what those churches are doing. Uh, we can look like we're doing it too. I, I'd love to have that kind of power. But to try to grab that power without having the right relationship, folks, that's just faking it. Here's a great example of those who use the power or want to use the power that Christianity provides, but they're not willing to make the commitment to following the Lord Jesus and to uh, work within the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they want to just bypass all of that just to get the benefits of looking like they are on the right side. In all of those examples, as this church begins, we see people coming close 
to what it means to be a disciple, but ultimately they're lacking in some way. Unfortunately, it appears that the church there in Ephesus would eventually fall into the same trap. Starting out well, again, go back to Revelation 2. Look at, look at what Jesus says in verse 2. He commends them for their work and for their toil, for their patient endurance. In other words, this church had their calendar full of good things to do. The neighborhood probably was looking at them saying, Wow, you guys sure are busy. Not only that, but they were standing firm in the, in the face of persecution, in the face of heresy. They were commended for actually testing the teachings that were coming in. They, they were biblically literate. Folks, you and I, we're called to, to be people who guard what gets brought into our brains and our spiritual lives. Uh, we are to test the spirits. We are to test prophets. We are to test teachings. We are to test sermons to see if they line up with God's word. These, the, the, the believers there were doing all of that. So what was the issue? Eh, the issue comes in verse 4 and 5. It starts out with the word Yet. Now, I, that's a scary word to me because you'd think, well, I'm doing all the right things, so I'm okay. Yet. That means that the reality is something different. Yet, Jesus says, I hold this against you. I don't know about you, but I would hate to hear those words from Jesus in my life. Trey, you're doing some great things, yet I, I'm holding something against you. Whoa, I, I really don't want Jesus to hold anything against me. What was it that he was holding against them? He says, you have forsaken or forgotten or lost your first love. Remember the height from which you had fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. See, outwardly they looked great. They started out well. But somewhere along the lines, all of those things that they were doing for the Lord started to be done for them for their own benefit, for their own reputation, for their own feeling good about themselves. And so their works then were powerless. That's what God has said. Throughout his scripture, he says, if you're relying on your own good works to save you, you are still lost. God has always been more concerned about my heart than my actions because he knows that if my heart is lined up in the right place, my actions will follow. You can't say the same thing the other, the other way. If I'm just concerned about what I look like on the outside, my heart can be far, far away from him. You know, it's like the little girl who was causing a terror at home. Uh, she was sick of being shut down and not being able to go to school. And she was just, she was getting into everything. She was making a mess. She was drawing on things that she should not draw. Finally, mom had had enough, said, that's it. Stop running around. You go to the corner right now, young lady. You sit there and face the wall literally took the girl and physically sat her down. The little girl looked back at her mom and said, I might be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside I'm still running around. Sometimes that's exactly what we do. We, we make it look like we're doing the right thing on the outside, but on the inside we're still, we're still running around. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 15, you hypocrites, talking to the religious leaders, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And, and when your lips honor him, but your heart is far from him, Jesus says, In vain, in vain you worship me. It means your worship means nothing. 
teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You have replaced God's word with your traditions. As good as they are, that can't happen. You've lost that loving feeling. Powell View Christian Church is a great church. We have been involved in doing some great things. From the very beginning, we have strived to be a church that puts our faith into action. Project Love and Missions and K&K and Mission for Mexico and Camp Attitude and Pregnancy Resource Center and Shepherd's House and countless missionaries supported over the years. I would imagine that if Jesus came down and, and observed us, he would commend us on our work and our faith put into action. But here's where there is a danger, folks. When your busyness becomes just busyness, there can come a time when the routine of our religion replaces the real reason of why we do what we do. Passion must come into play in the life of a church. There needs to be understanding that there's a line that separates doing things because, well, because we've always done those things and doing things because we have this passionate love for the Lord and for the lost. It's, it's relying everything, building everything upon the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and to then love your neighbor as yourself, and the great commission to then go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Both of those things have to hinge on this passionate love, this agape love, a selfless love. That's, that's what love is in the New Testament. It's agape. It's this n- not for myself, but for somebody else type of love. So what is a church that is involved in some great things, but does not have that kind of love for the lost and for the Lord? What does that church look like? Well, that church will replace God's itinerary for its own. uh, They will will put their priorities in place of God's priorities. That church will bask in its own glory, its own name, its own accomplishments and achievements rather than in God's glory. It will put programs before people. It will invest more in its own buildings and campus and kingdom rather than in God's eternal kingdom. And it will relegate faith to an hour on Sunday morning, just a segment of our life, rather than the center of our life. How do I know that this happens? I used to say, go to Europe, and you'll see this. But now I can say, go to some of the urban areas of America, and you'll see this. You'll see great, huge, beautiful buildings that once housed mighty churches that were engaged at one time in winning souls to the Lord and practicing the love of Jesus to their community. But unfortunately, in way too many of those cases, those buildings are now empty. They are decaying monuments to a long-since-dead faith and fervor. And you wonder why the world is farther and farther falling into the darkness. It's almost as if we, who were called to be the city on the hill, we have lost the power to save or to, to, to bring them into any kind of knowledge, salvation knowledge of Jesus like the believers in Ephesus at the beginning of the church there in Acts 19. Maybe we know all the right stuff, but we just have never let the Holy Spirit come in and take over. So, so many churches are stuck in traditions, great traditions, but traditions. And they have definitely lost the love for the Lord and for the lost. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Because we can go through the motions of Christianity without this passionate love for God and for his church 
and for those who are destined to a godless eternity. Why do we do what we do? It's because Jesus called us to the same life that he called his disciples in Matthew 16. If anyone, or if any church, we could say, would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Follow me. You see, God showed us an agape love, a selfless love, knowing that we could not do anything about our sin problem, our greatest need being cleansed from that sin. So he gave of himself in the, in the, in the person of Jesus to go to the cross to pay the penalty. And he who knew no sin became sin so that we who were sinners could become the righteousness of God. And then Jesus said, and if I've done that for you, you need to turn around and do that for others as well. John 13, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said, do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that's who I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Now, please do not mishear me this morning. We do, as a church, we do serve like this in so many ways. Last week, if you were here, you heard from Tom Alexander about Project Love and what they are doing with the food boxes this this week and what they've been doing all year. Next week, we're going to have a go moment with D.C. Lundy about K&K and the missions there in Uganda. We are a church that serves. It's been part of our DNA from the beginning. So I'm not telling you we need to get our act in gear What I'm saying is, as we are doing those things, I want us to always ask the question, are we doing it for the right reason? As a city on the hill, are we shining God's light, or are we shining our own light? Do we know why we do what we do? If we don't, there is a consequence. There in Revelation 2, last part of verse 5, Jesus says, if you do not repent. It means if if you don't get this, then I'm going to come to you and I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. We talked about this when we talked about the city on a hill and the lampstand that would give light. That's the purpose of a lampstand is to give light. Jesus is not saying you are in danger of losing your salvation. Okay, He's not saying that to this church. But what he is saying is almost as bad. He says what what you are in danger of losing, church, is your witness, your influence, your purpose to be here on earth still. You're saved. Now get to helping me out saving some other people. <laughs> That's the point of keeping a church there. And if they're not going to shine for Jesus in that manner, then he says, why should you even exist? I'm just going to replace you. A church that does remember. And right now I'd invite the worship team to come on back up. A church that does remember. A church that does repent. A church that does return to its first love. Do you you know what kind of church that is? That's a church that is passionate for God's presence. They love worship. They love getting here early. They they love utilizing these prayer stations to prepare their hearts. They're not the the people that drive me crazy who say, well, I don't like the music, so I'm not going to show up until after the music, and then I'll listen to the, the good parts of the sermon. You kidding me? There's a reason that we have music. Oh, I don't like to sing. Tough, you have a God that loves to hear you sing (laughs) and commands you to sing. Well, I don't know the song. The words are up there. 
And if you don't know the melody, at least make that your prayer. Because the message can be there in worship. To have a passion for God's presence, to be there with you, to do the things he wants you to do, to worship him, to be in his word, to pray, to connect with him on a daily basis. A church that remembers and repents and returns is mindful of his mercy. So they don't look down on other people who are messing up because you remember that you are a sinner as well. That you didn't get there by your merit, but God's mercy was unmerited. He gave it to you, and so out of gratitude, we should just be thankful for being able to be in in his presence. It's nothing that we have done ourselves. And so all of those people out there that we think we're so much better than, we're not in any, in any way different from them, except for that we are mindful of his mercy. We need to be faithful to the fellowship, not just on Sunday mornings, but to be involved in, in midweek Bible studies or, or accountability groups or, or discipleship groups or, or just calling each other, saying, how are you doing? And Because iron does sharpen iron. And finally, A church that remembers and repents and returns to its first love will be committed to the kingdom. And like I said, if you are saved, that's great. That's part one. Part two now is you have been recruited to serve as a light for other people to come and be saved as well. Do you know what happened to the church at Ephesus? Today, you can go to western Turkey and you will see the ruins of that city. It lies under a swamp now. Stagnant water. The church at Ephesus died. And the city died around it. I don't want that to happen to Powell Butte, to this community, to this community of faith, to this community at large. What we do as a church, our ministries, our missions, our stewardship, our leadership, for the sake of our assembly, for the sake of our community, for the sake of God's kingdom, we must shine like a city on a hill with his light and always remembering why we do what we do. I'm going to close with this very silly story. It's like a dad joke, but that's okay. I'm a dad, so I, I have the license to, to share it. The congregation of a very small community church decided it was time to, to spruce up the looks of their building. It had been years since anybody had uh, painted and done some landscaping work, but they didn't have a lot of money in the budget, so they, they knew that they would have to cut corners. The elders went out to buy paint, and they they realized that paint was very expensive, so they decided to buy the water-based paint, about 10 gallons, and several then smaller uh, cans of paint thinner, so that they could then paint the entire church with just a small amount of paint. They gathered everybody together one Saturday, and they had a painting party, and they were almost done. When all of a sudden the sky turned dark, And the clouds opened up and a torrential rain just poured down. And as that rain hit the building, all of that water-based paint began to dissolve and float away and come off the walls and just uh, gather around the church in in, uh, very impotent puddles. Now the elders were spiritual enough to, to realize that this is probably God's judgment. So they got on their knees and prayed, Oh Lord, forgive us. What should we do? All of a sudden, there was a lightning flash and a rumble of thunder. And from that thunder, a mighty voice said, Repaint, you thinners. Repaint and thin no more. For 75 years, this this church has looked pretty good. 
Is it just a coat of paint so that we can look good, that we can get glory for ourselves in this community and around the world? Or is this church going to repaint and thin no more as we put on the right kind of stuff, shining with the right kind of light and knowing why we do what we do? Let's continue to do it. But let's also remember that love, that first love that we have, a love for our Lord and a love for the lost. Would you stand with me? I want to pray with us, and then we're going to conclude our service with a a song. Love you guys. Love serving as your pastor. Um, And uh, love that uh, you are abiding by the rules. Thank you. And we'll see you next week. God, thank you so much for the challenge of your word. And what a challenge it is. Lord, we, um, this is not a challenge to do more. But it is a challenge to always then think about why we're doing what we do. And Lord, I would pray that we would never replace tradition with our absolute passionate love for you and for the furtherance of your kingdom as light penetrates this dark world. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit to do what we need to do so that we might serve as that shining city on a hill, your light shining through us. God, we love you so much. And because of that love, we are here ready for you to do whatever you want through us. I pray this, thing, this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.